Well, we have um, a study today in Matthew chapter 6, and you notice that this study in the Sermon on the Mount keeps building, right? <laughs> he lays the groundwork with the Beatitudes by telling us these are the attitudes of the heart that you were to have. This is the internal transformation that needs to take place so that you then can live out the Christian life to which we've been called, because he ended chapter 5 by calling us to perfection, right? He said, you're to be perfect as I am perfect. So he's calling us to holiness, to righteousness. And he says, this is what it looks like. So in chapter five, he's comparing the Beatitudes to the law. And he's saying it goes so far beyond that. It's much deeper than that. As we said, it goes all the way into the heart. Now he's looking at how we actually live out the spirit-filled life. And he talks about when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Well, today we're picking up on when you fast, and then it follows with a focus on what we treasure. What do we seek first? And as we begin, I want you to look at the quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said, we may as well realize at the outset that this chapter 6 is, again, a very searching one. Indeed, we can go further and say that it's a very painful one. I sometimes think that it's one of the most uncomfortable chapters to read in the entire scriptures, it probes and examines and holds a mirror up before us, and it will not allow us to escape. Now, as we get into this and look at it, you're going to see why. Um, but it may make us uncomfortable, but the truths are so incredibly freeing. If we will grasp them and internalize them, we will be set free from the things that everybody else worry about. Because our Heavenly Father has it all taken care of. All right, let's pick up in chapter 6, verse 16, and he says, whenever you fast. So he takes it for granted that that will be a part of our life in the spirit, that we will give, we will pray, we will fast. And when we do, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you fast, Anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father, there it is again, who is in secret, he's in that secret place, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then he goes in there from there talking about not laying up treasure. So what do we see about fasting, and have we ever incorporated it into our lives? And I hope that many of you have. Um, fasting can be fasting from a single meal. It can be fasting from food. It can be fasting from a certain kind of food. Some people do the Daniel fast, which is just vegetables and water. There are various ways that you can fast, but the issue is to deprive your physical body of something so that you spend that time instead focusing on the Lord. Paul talked about buffeting his body disciplining his body, and that's one of the ways that we can do that so that we're not constantly giving in to the flesh. I've given you a couple of excellent resources. There's actually a definition. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that's taught in the Bible. Jesus expected his followers to fast, and he said that God rewards fasting. Fasting, according to the Bible, means to voluntarily reduce or eliminate your intake of food for a specific time and purpose. Now, it may be just that you're wanting to be more in tune with the Holy Spirit. You're wanting to be able to hear the voice of our Savior. And so you're fasting because you're saying, Lord, I want to block out everything that's distracting me. It may be you have a big decision to make, and you're going to set aside some time to fast. 
It may be the Lord just prompts you to fast for a day. There was a period of time when I fasted one day a week when our children were teenagers. That explains it all, doesn't it? <laughs> and I fasted that, that day every day, and I had an extended time of prayer for them. I had scriptures I was claiming for them. There have been other seasons when God has called me for a period of time to fast a day a week. Back when we were preparing for She Loves Out Loud, many of us fasted every Monday until 5 p.m. So we missed breakfast and lunch, and we broke the fast for dinner because we were really just consecrating that time to the Lord and asking the Lord to do what only he could do and meet with us and call women to prayer across the nation. There can be various reasons that you fast, but it should be a part of what you do. So ask the Lord how you can incorporate that into your walk with him. And you do have a couple of resources. And, of course, Bellevue has set aside the third of every month as a day of prayer and fasting. So if you would join with us, you can fast a meal. You can fast the entire day. But you can also go to bellevue.org slash prayer, and you can sign up to get the monthly prayer request sheet, and they will give you things to pray for on that day of prayer and fasting. And they're excellent, things that are going on in our church, staff people to pray for, um, things across the city to pray for, how to pray for our nation. Various times we've prayed, like for Supreme Court justices, various other things. It's a tremendous tool. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Now let's pick up in the rest of the time. We're going to be talking about what we treasure and how we can know what we treasure. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So he's telling us that we need to really focus on those things that are eternal. Now, we've talked about this before. What does the Bible say is eternal? The Bible says the word of God, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So we know that his word is eternal. We know Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus Christ is the word, the word who became flesh, and thus God's word is eternal. So as we invest in Bible study, you're investing in something eternal. When you read the word of God systematically, when you memorize it, when you meditate upon it, you are being transformed by the living, breathing word of God, and it is eternal. So you're investing in heaven when you invest in God's word. We also know that the souls of men and women, boys and girls, are eternal. We are created in the image of God, living spirits. God breathed into Adam, and he became a living spirit. God is spirit. And when a person dies, literally their spirit and soul goes to be with the Lord, the body, the shell, is buried, but that body will also be raised one day and glorified just as Christ's resurrected body. Just what we celebrated this weekend with Easter. We too will be resurrected because Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. But prayer is also eternal because it is gathered before the Lord and it is held in golden bowls, Revelation 5.8 tells us, before the throne of God and your prayers continually rise before him like incense. So the prayers that you send ahead that continually rise before the Lord could still be bringing answers on earth after you're in heaven. So the word of God, the souls of men, women, boys, and girls, and prayer are eternal. So if we're going to seek first 
the kingdom of God, if we're going to seek him first, and if we're going to lay up treasure in heaven, then we have to focus on those things that actually send treasure ahead, right? And as you share the gospel with people, as you take people with you, we want people going with us to heaven. So we want to be all about advancing the kingdom of God in the time that we have on earth because we don't belong here. We're citizens of heaven now. We're simply pilgrims passing through. So he's encouraging us not to get tied down with the cares and the worries of this world, but instead to focus on the kingdom of God that is eternal. Now, the temporal things are all the things that are passing away. It's the things that everybody else is all worried about. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in detail as, as we move on. Ephesians 2 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So God has specific works prepared for us. He has specific works prepared for you. Are you seeking him? Do you know what it is he's called you to do, for you to accomplish for the kingdom of God that I won't accomplish, that Dana won't accomplish, that Gene won't accomplish, that your small group leader won't, but he has a specific plan for you. He has people for you to impact, to pray for, to minister to, to share the gospel with. He has a plan for your life. Are you about it? Are you doing the good works that he has prepared for you? Then in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, it says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, did you hear all the superlatives in that verse? What is he telling us? You will never run out if you're giving because he will give back to you so that you can give more. You simply because they become a conduit for blessings that God pours out upon you and you pour them out upon others. And as you pour out, he fills you back up. And it doesn't necessarily have to be monetary. It can be an act of service. It can be sharing the gospel. But as you give and as you go, as you pour yourself out, God pours back into you. And he will do it in such a way that you will have an abundance. How did he feed the 5,000? With a little boy's lunch, right? But what was left over? 12 baskets of food. There was an abundance. There will be some left over when we become givers like our father in fact, in John MacArthur's study Bible, he said, God gives back lavishly to generous, cheerful givers, not so they may satisfy selfish, non-essential desires, but so that they may meet the variety of needs that others have. This is not health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, lest you get uncomfortable. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. The Old Testament did value prosperity and saw it as God's blessing. And God did bless. He blessed Abraham. He blessed his descendants. But when you get into the New Testament, remember, Old Testament shows us a lot of pictures of spiritual realities. In the New Testament, in Christ, who came to a peasant couple, was born in a stable and didn't even have a home, a place to lay his head, we are to follow the one who was not tied or bound to this world because Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. He came to establish for us how we are to live for the eternal. So now we see with spirit eyes and we live for the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of this world. So it is not about accumulating wealth. It is about utilizing what God blesses us with to bless others so that the gospel goes forth. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10, 
you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I kind of cheated because I marked it. <laughs> Listen to 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we're not to long for money or wealth or to focus on that. And then he goes on in verse 17 and says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. The things of this earth not only don't satisfy, but they certainly don't provide life. It is only in giving our life away for the gospel, for the good news, that we actually find our life, that we experience satisfaction and fulfillment and life as it was designed to be lived. Now, as we move back in our passage in Matthew 6 to verse 22, we pick up on a couple of verses that seem a little strange right in the midst of talking about treasure and, and how we're spending our money and what we're supposed to do. Verse 22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And I just ask us, how's your eye? <laughs> how is your eye? Do you see clearly spiritually? Or is your eye darkened because you've fastened it on the things of this world? I listened to an excellent sermon by Tim Keller, and it's entitled Treasure Versus Money, and it's on your handout. But he says several things in there that I've included under this point. One was, once your soul treasures something, you'll pay any price to get it. So what we focus on, what we're willing to spend our money, our time, our energy on, that's what we really treasure. Remember the parables that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13? He told about the man who found the treasure in the field, and he rehid the treasure, went, sold everything he had, and came back and bought that field. And then he told about the merchant who was seeking fine pearls, and he found the pearl of great value. And what does he do? He sells everything he has so that he can purchase that pearl. And he's talking to us about himself, about the kingdom of heaven. We are to treasure Jesus Christ. And when we treasure him and the kingdom, he satisfies and he opens our eyes to see. One of the things Tim Keller said was you think about someone who's blind. There could be someone sitting here beside me blind. And even in the midst of spotlights and a very well-lit room, you know what, their entire being would be dark to them because they're unable to see. That's what happens many times when our eyes are blinded by the things of this world, when we get distracted by things that don't really matter. In fact, in Romans 1, we know that Paul is talking about what happens when God begins to remove his hand from people who refuse to worship him. Instead, they get their eyes fixed on creation instead of the creator um, and their eye becomes darkened in Romans chapter 1 verse 21 he says for even though they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened 
They became foolish because they fixed their eye on creation, on the things that they thought they want. And they wanted to build a life apart from God and his truth and his design. And it darkened their minds. That's what he's talking about. Is your eye full of light? Who is the light of the world? Jesus is. And it's by fixing our eyes on Jesus that our eyes will be filled with light. And one of the things I thought about as I was just reflecting back over this this morning was faith literally not only lightens our load, because when we trust the Father, we trust him with all the cares of our life. He literally has called us to a carefree life. Not stress-free, not problem-free, but carefree. Because we are to roll our cares over onto him. And he will carry them for us. He said, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I will give you rest. My load is what? It's light. His load is light. And he will take your load off of you. He will carry your load. And as he does, the faith allows your load to be lightened and your path to be illumined. He told us, I will light your path. His word lights our path. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So he is light. But in contrast, what do we know about the enemy? Satan's domain is the domain of darkness. So if we're dark, if we're discouraged, depressed, who are we being influenced by? Not the Lord of light. We are allowing the enemy to darken our eyes, to darken our minds and our hearts. And it can happen so subtly because we can so easily get sucked into the greed of the world in which we live and the culture that we're a part of. In fact, one of the things that I got tickled about that Tim Keller said was, he said, you know, as a pastor, I have had so many people come to me through the years. And as a pastor's wife, I've prayed with a lot of women through the years. And I thought, this is so true. I've never experienced this either. He said, people have come to me and they've confessed sins of anger or they've embezzled money through their company or they've been unfaithful to their spouse. They'll come in and share these things with you. And are there a, a per, another personal struggle? Maybe with women, I've dealt with women who struggled with eating disorders and various things like that. He said, but I've never once had somebody come to me and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with greed. I have a stronghold of greed in my life. It's like one of those things we just think, well, it couldn't possibly be me, right? Because you're talking to the really rich people. And he said, but you know what's really funny is even the really rich people don't think they're rich. Because they hang around with people that are 10 times richer than they are. Just like you hang around with people, and some of your friends are much wealthier than you are, and you just think, well, if I had that kind of money, I'd be generous. You can be generous regardless of how much money you have. You can be generous if you've got a dollar. You can give a dime to the church and a dime to somebody else. You can be generous with whatever God gives you because everything we have, we're simply stewards of. We hold it like this. And we offer it back to him because it all belongs to him anyway. And if you don't want to be tied down, weighed down by the things of this world, hold them like this. And when the Lord says, give it away, if you struggle with it, it may be that you're having a little struggle with greed, that you're you're focused too much on self. But if you can willingly give that thing away, you will find incredible joy in giving. And you know what? It lightens your load as well as you give these things away. Tim Keller went on to say, the gospel says that we are all more sinful than we ever believed, but more loved than we ever dared hope. And one of the things he challenged people to do, and I thought this was was good, he says, practice sexual integrity and financial promiscuity. (laughs) 
<laughs> Isn't that great? So let's practice sexual integrity in a world that's completely lost its mind in that area and financial promiscuity. Let's be generous and freely giving. And the cross is our standard. So how can we not give it all when Christ has given his all for us? And it really is only when we treasure Jesus, when he becomes the treasure of our heart, then we'll be free from the love of money. So he goes from lay up treasure in heaven to is your eye light or dark into don't worry. So let's pick back up in chapter seven or chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason, okay, because of this, that you're not to, well, I missed verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So he's showing us they compete for our affections, wealth and the Lord. If we're going to choose the Lord, then we can't love the things of this world. And he says, for this reason, because you cannot love or serve God and money, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to this life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Did you notice how many times he said, do not worry? Do not worry. Look at verse 25, do not worry. Then he says, you know, who of you being worried can add a single hour in verse 27? Why are you worried about clothing in verse 28? Then in 31, he says, do not worry. And in 34, do not worry. So I'd say we're not to worry. What would you say? <laughs> we're not to worry about the basics of life. What is, what is he talking about? The food that we're going to eat, having something to drink and clothes to wear. And he said, look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds. They don't toil or spin, and yet the Father feeds them. Now, they go out to hunt for the food. He's not saying sit at home and expect everything to come to you. No, you have to work, but God will provide. You don't focus on those things. You don't worry about having your next meal because we have a heavenly father who's perfect. And if we as parents who are evil long to do good for our children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit and do good to those who ask? He said, I am your father. Trust me. What does he, what does he rebuke them for? Their little faith. You of little faith. What does faith do? Faith enables us to please him. And not only that, it enables him to entrust us with the true riches, which are spiritual. It's insight into his word. It's getting in on what he's doing. Him being willing to trust us to reach out and love someone, minister to someone, share the gospel with someone, open our homes to someone. That's what he's calling on us to do. That's what Isaiah 58 is all about. The people are fasting. They're doing all the religious outward exercises. And God's saying, I'm not accepting any of that. 
What is the fast that I have chosen? That you open your home to the poor, that you feed the hungry. He said, notice the people around you. Do what it is that Christ did. Christ reached out and touched the lepers that no one else would even get near. Christ had meals with people that the Pharisees would not have sat down at a table with. Christ invited everyone to come in. And that's what we are to do as followers of Jesus Christ. And when our hearts have been changed, we'll be humbled. One of the tests that Tim Keller said you can take to know whether or not money has a hold on you is how do you feel about the rich? How do you feel about someone who has more money than you? Do you resent it? If you do, money has a hold on you. Do you envy them? If you do, money has a hold on you. What about those who are poor? How do you feel about them? Do you look down on them? If so, money has a hold on you. Because the gospel has a way of humbling us and making us realize we really are all the same. We are sinners in need of a Savior. Broken beyond healing apart from Jesus Christ. And there's great hope for everyone. And when you look at another person, especially someone who may be lower educationally, socioeconomically, whatever it may be, however your caste system works, because our culture certainly has one, anyone you can look down upon, if you knew their story, you might be exactly where they are or worse off than they are. What does he challenge us to do? Take your focus off of those things that you think you need to survive. Fix your focus on me. Trust me and don't worry. Instead, take those cares, roll them over onto the Lord. Turn them into prayer requests with thanksgiving, like Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us to do. And then he gives us his peace that passes all comprehension. And he allows us to get in on what he's doing. And there's incredible joy, incredible fulfillment in being in on what God is doing. In fact, giving things away. Several years ago, these scripture bracelets were very popular. It's when I wore only silver. And I remember somebody gave me one as a gift. And I felt strongly led to give it to someone one day because the verse seemed to perfectly match a situation they were dealing with. And it would be a good encouragement and reminder. And I gave it away. Literally, just a few days later, I got another one. Somebody gave me one for a gift. And every time I got one, I would give it away. And it almost became comical because then I thought, I just want to see who's going to give me another bracelet. <laughs> it's like every time I would give it away. I remember Dr. Junior Hill talking about carrying a $100 bill on his wallet all the time. And he said, I can't tell you how many times I've given away that $100 bill. It just keeps coming back. <laughs> He'll give it away. Somebody will give him another one. He puts it in his wallet. When God prompts him to give it away, he gives it away. I have practiced doing that same thing for years. It is amazing to see how God will just give it right back to you. Or if you're in a restaurant and you see a young family, of course, I guess because we're in the empty nest stage, Steve and I just have a heart for young families. We know what it was like back when we were struggling to feed everybody, clothe everybody, get everybody everything they needed for school and extracurricular activities and all that. So a lot of times he will say, hey, I'm, I'm going to buy that little family's meal or I'm going I'm to buy that person's meal. And it's like, that's awesome. Well, it's 
it's funny now because we'll go someplace and we'll be paying for somebody else's meal and they'll come say somebody's paid for your meal. It's just amazing how that happens. You literally cannot outgive God. It's so much fun. And I was talking to a young couple not long ago and they had been tithing since I got married and faithfully tithing, giving to the church and giving above that. And when God would prompt them, they had a little money they set aside so that they could help somebody out or just whatever the Lord prompted them to do. And they were getting ready to sell their home, and they were wanting to buy another home, and they were thinking, mm, you know, I mean, wow. And about that time, they got their statement, I guess, like from the church telling how much they had given for the last year. And the wife was saying, you know, I looked at that and thought, wow, that would be a great down payment on house. <laughs> you just had that fleeting thought that went through. Well, the Lord sold their home almost overnight, gave them more than they had tithed <laughs> to the church and gave them an incredible deal on the house they bought two days later. And they got into it. There's no way they should have gotten the house. And she sat there and said, you just cannot outgive God. <laughs> you just cannot outgive God. What does that show? If we're willing to trust him with our finances, then we're showing him our treasure is with you. I treasure you more than I treasure this. Why do people try to hang on to money? Why is it that money so competes with our devotion to the Lord? I think for some, it's either it's security or it's status and position. Whatever it may be that shows us we're trusting money instead of trusting the Lord. I listened to a message by Francis Chan yesterday. It was actually on prayer. I was cleaning house, and so I always like to listen to a message while I'm cleaning house. I really encourage you to do that. It really makes you look more forward to your house cleaning. <laughs> if you know you're going to get to listen to a really great message. So I was listening to him talk about prayer, and he was just sharing about how, I mean, you really cannot outgive God and how God was speaking to him and, and allowing him to get in on things with people you know, he would folk, have him call somebody or have him share the gospel with somebody. He said, you know, it's just so amazing how the Lord speaks to us if we will learn to listen to his voice and be able to get in on what he's doing. And he said, it's just so much fun. Well, it is. It is fun. And what is he talking about here? When you give, when you pray, when you fast, that's part of laying up treasure in heaven. That's part of what he's called us to do, to invest in giving and praying and fasting so that we can see the kingdom of God advance on earth. That's why he's given us breath, that we might bring praise to him and share the good news with others. You literally cannot outgive him. So I want to encourage you, buy someone's meal. Give a grocery gift card to someone struggling. Pay a month's rent for a single mom. Mow your neighbor's yard. Buy the meal of the person behind you at the fast food restaurant or at Starbucks. Write a note to a widow or a widower. Invite someone over for a meal that will not be able to reciprocate, that will not be able to invite you back. And when you do that, you're laying up treasure in heaven. You're becoming a giver just like our father Remember the verse from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8? Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. What does it go back to? Our heart. That's what we looked at in chapter 5. We were looking at the heart. Give just as it's in your heart to do. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a 
cheerful giver. And God's able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Get in on God's economy. It is so much better than anything the world has to offer. The return is amazing. <laughs> and in fact, it's eternal. So I encourage you to get in on his economy. And what's the solution? What does he tell us to do? Because he wrap it up. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember, we're called to holiness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Food, clothing, shelter, everything that you need, because he's the perfect heavenly father. And we've talked about this before, how my children, my grandchildren, never had to worry about their next meal or having the things they needed for school or for an extracurricular activity. Their dad and I would have done whatever we had to do to make sure they didn't have to worry because that's not their job as a five, six, seven-year-old to have to worry about those things. That's my job. Now, I did have one child, Bethany, the fourth one, who was an old soul at the age of three, and she was always following me around and saying, did you get your keys? Did you lock the door? Did you get those? <laughs> it, was, it was helpful by the fourth child to have somebody following you around saying those kind of things, but most children don't worry about those kinds of things, right? Um, and, and they shouldn't, but that's exactly what he's saying to us. I am your father. Don't worry about those things. Instead, lay up treasure in heaven. Hold everything with an open palm. Be ready to give it all away if he calls on you to. Because he'll give it right back so that you can give it away again. So that he can give it back. So that you can give it away again. Mary of Bethany chose the one thing. She chose to seek first the kingdom. And Jesus commended her for it. He said she's chosen the one thing that will not be taken away from her. She's chosen me. She chose to treasure Jesus. And because she did, Jesus gave her insight that even most of his disciples didn't get about his death on the cross, which is why she did that extravagant act of worship in breaking that alabaster vial of perfume and anointing his head and his feet in preparation for burial. The psalmist said it like this, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. One thing I have asked from the Lord. What's the one thing you've been asking the Lord for over and over and over? What if you lay that thing before the throne this morning and say, Father, from this day forward, I want to seek first your kingdom and one thing I'm going to long for and that is you that is you because we seek first what we treasure most may we choose today to treasure Jesus and get in on God's economy and advancing his kingdom you'll be sending treasure on ahead that you'll be able to enjoy for all of eternity. Let's pray.